Hello and welcome. You are listening to Navigating the Metaverse, where we interview trailblazers in the NFT and metaverse space who share their insider advice for how to do business in the Web 3.0 era. Your host is Maso DiBartolo. By the way, did you know that you can buy, sell, and trade virtual land inside of Upland, the metaverse that is mapped to the real world? You can download Upland on iOS or Android or enter it on the web by using the referral link in the show notes. Grab your special sign-up bonus of 6,000 UpX today and start rebuilding the world with others. With that being said, enjoy today's episode. And good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, depending on where you are tuning in from. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, another episode of Navigating the Metaverse. And today with another tremendous, great lineup of Web3's pros that are making the market and co-creating the market. And I would like to start to uh, present and introduce the first uh, uh, panelist here, Evan, Evan McMullen, and co-founder and CEO of Disco.xyz, a self-sovereign identity platform designed for Metaverse. Evan, such a great pleasure to have you here. Jan, DJs, thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate your time, Amen. And we have Justin Bannon as co-founder of Bosom Protocol, a venture-backed protocol for enabling any app or DAP to transmit and consume products and services in digital form as non-fungible voucher tokens. Justin, such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, Tomato. Topic of the metaverse, uh, most probably the most, uh, uh, the hottest topic in the since uh, end of uh, 2021. We have been hearing a lot that we are either playing or living in the metaverse. Definitely, we see a pathway in where the human behavior and the human being in the metaverse is going to have a, a different value sets, a different realm in terms of personality, in terms of identity, what we buy, what we shop. Evan, I would like to kick off things with you. How is actually in the realm of a metaverse changing our identity? How is the identity evolving in the landscape of Web3? What can you share with us? So traditionally, our identities have not belonged to us. Our identities in Web2 and the lives that we've led really up until this point have been functions of other systems. Your driver's license belongs to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Your email belongs to Google. Your dating profile belongs to Tinder. And your music belongs to Spotify. And so what this means is that we have very little to call our own. However, the advent of private keys, the ability to self-custody financial assets has shown us the way that we might be in ownership and control of assets that belong to only us. So in the same way that we uh, exercise self-custody over our crypto assets and publicly visible tokens, we now have the ability throughout the metaverse to own and control data that describes us. The exhaust that is produced from us doing activities throughout the metaverse in physical space, Web 2 and Web 3 can now be collected, owned and controlled for our future use and you know, in, in that control um, managed only by us. That's a beautiful perspective right there. Justin, what's your perspective of uh, the us, the digital me, and maybe in relationship to the abilities of doing commerce? What can you do with the digital me? What's the, what's the next version of us in the, in the Web3 realm? Well, I mean, I think you're, what we're seeing is, is the merging of these two realities, whether that's, you know, uh, whether that's people, 
um, having a physical presence and then a digital um, avatars and, and, and identities as, as Evan described, or, or things like products having a physical and a digital presence. Um, one of the things that, that Boson Protocol enables is um, not only for, uh, for, for users to be able to buy and sell physical things as NFTs in the metaverse, but for, the, for those kind of redeemable NFTs to be paired with like NFTs for digital wearables to create these like digital twins. And so what we're seeing increasingly is that if you go, you know, if you, if you, if you go starting with like luxury items like, you know, luxury handbags or, or sneakers, you're going to buy a physical item, you'll get it twinned with a digital wearable that you can wear in, in, in the metaverse. And likewise, if you're going to go and spend you know, a couple of ETH on a, on a, on a digital wearable, then your the expectation would be to get the physical as well. So I think we're seeing this kind of twinning and merging between environments, uh, you know, realities, uh, you know, people, identities, and, and also um, physical and digital things. Justin, I, I think you uh, bring up something really important here, which is the context around um, and consequences around actions that we perform already. So to take the example that you described of purchasing an item in real life that might unlock your ability to have a similar representation in digital space. And one other element that I think can enable um, our experiences here is the ability for you to receive a web-free ready receipt of whatever action you did in real life to prove that you indeed were the purchaser of this item, that it was you uh, who obtained it in physical space, you interacted with perhaps a sales associate or a brand, so that not only do you have the privilege of bringing an avatar representation into digital space, but you could also use that proof, that independently verifiable receipt as the basis for warranties, repairs, customization, yeah taking out an insurance uh, policy against your object, or even taking out an under-collateralized loan in Bitcoin because you can validate the fact that you have yeah. purchased an asset that can be used as collateral. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, um, and these are the, the, the kind of, it's a couple of things you talked about there, which is one is like token gating. Um, so for example, Boson Protocol, you can set it such that you have to have some sort of NFT or even an ERC-20 in order to be able to buy something or in order to be able to ac access something. Um, so the token gating, this whole kind of pro programmability of commerce and these experiences now linking identity, linking, you know, ha having the, the, these other um, uh, NFTs or items and just this, this, this sort of uh, composability uh, when you use um, sort of Web3 native commerce protocols like Boson Protocol, composability with all of those other things that Evan mentioned, whether it's like, you know, you could you can plug Boson Protocol together with some sort of DeFi lending protocol to create a Web3, um, you know, kind of credit card or, you know, uh, consumer credit product. Um, and, and, and all of these things combining is, is like um, Lego blocks for an entirely new um, economy. Justin, I, I really appreciate you bringing up the Lego comparison because often I think of Web3 like a main street of shops where every shop sells a different Lego and no one knows what other shops sell. And there isn't a Lego store with directions for how we can put all these Lego blocks together. 
So the more often we have conversations such as the one that Tommaso has convened us in today, the more we can figure out what other shops are selling in terms of their Legos and how we can put them together. So in this particular instance, if we were to add disco to this stack that you've just described, not only could we enjoy um, token-enabled experiences as with Boson, but we can also enjoy enabled experiences that are unlocked with our non-financial work. So for example, you can only uh, get on the whitelist for this NFT if you've listened to a thousand hours of Tommaso's other podcasts. You can only gain access to this merchandise if you have shown up for Discord stages, YouTube live streams, and participated in a physical event. You have to com uh, conduct a um, scavenger hunt across finding items on websites in Web 2, uh, interacting with smart contracts in Web 3, and finding murals in physical space. Whatever that amalgam of actions is, whether financial or non-financial, on-chain or off-chain, we can use these behaviors to unlock privileges, whether those are physical objects or access to content or even access to experiences. So the personalized metaverse, the metaverse predicated on our proofs of work outside of our financial actions um, is only just beginning for us. I mean, Erin, that is so exciting and we need to kind of catch up offline because we're about to launch V2. And I, I mean, it's it, apparent that Disco can enable some amazing, uh, you know, kind of uh, activations uh, in, in conjunction with Boson. So let, let, let's do that. So we put that the centers, uh, by the way, uh, I, I love the fact when I have guests and this starts flowing, right? That's always the best sign, right? That we all co-creating together, not just a topic, right? But Web3. And uh, it's an interesting perspective because everything is always user-centric, right? We solve uh, a, a challenge for an end user that has been in Web2 and now in Web3 even stronger because now we empower the end user actually not only to own data to own movements, to own identity, right? And build a chain from offline to online, but also co-create, right? Um, based on existing uh, um, non-fungible tokens, existing protocols, existing credits on, on a Web3 space, right? Other products, right? What is, what is your perspective on how the brands are going to interwine here? So let's break it down as an example, right? So I have a, a disco... Um, do you call it wallet or identity, right? So you have an account backpack. or backpack. I love it. Yeah. So because in your backpack makes totally yeah. sense, you have everything in there, right? And now with the backpack, you're logging in or you are leveraging the protocol here of Boson, right? Which connects the, the physical to the digital world. And now you are in a realm with like-minded peers. You have multiple peers there, right? And you have brands involved, right? So how is the co-creation, right? So taking what is existing, and, and, and adding an additional layer of utility on top of it. How is this additional layer of utility working out for um, brands? What are your thoughts there? What can we share with the audience here? Uh, you want to go first, Evan? So, I think there are short-term games and there are long-term games that brands are playing right now. The short-term games, the brands that are kind of new, new to the space and engaging just on the surface, are looking at wallet addresses like the new way to distribute coupons. Um, so uh, by, you know, interacting with information available on chain or even no information at all, just generally spamming them out to wallet addresses, uh, brands are able to connect directly with users as they could back in the day with direct mail by sending things directly to their address. However, this is not very nuanced and this actually can feel a little spammy. Um, and so, you know, there's a, a lot of 
careful consideration around the pursuit of just, you know, sending out large amounts of NFTs that have an unfettered secondary market. Um, for those brands that are a little bit more nuanced, that are thinking a little bit more critically, we are starting to see a new formation of what it means to be an audience. How can we feel closer to a community where we've got lateral interaction, where we've got emergent behavior, where we've got ongoing engagement that's not just a one-way flow of information from a billboard to some eyeballs, from a brand to their audience. Um, and so when we have the ability to capture our proofs of work across platforms to determine which basketball games am I going to in person, which am I watching on television, which, uh, which teams am I buying merchandise from online or interacting with their NFTs or engaging with their live streams, the more I can capture those interactions with brands that happen outside of the space the brand owns, the more valuable information I can bring to their front door when we do interact. Because you have a cross, a, a cross ecosystem or a cross brand value creation right there, right? Justin, what's, what's your perspective on, uh, on <clears throat> uh, how the Bosom protocol, right? By having, uh, creating this ecosystem of uh, end users, of owners of those uh, digital assets, right? What's, what's the cross ecosystem value creation uh, that uh, a brand might tap into that they might be maybe not are not seeing right now right um the difference is that i think it goes back to previous generations um of like users and customers were in you know kind of consumed media in a very passive broadcast format you know sitting watching hours and hours of tv Yet, you know, these newer generations are used to interactive, engaging, um, you know, experiences. And so that's a bit like, you know, the kind of the changes we have had, you know, from physical to web, from web to mobile, maybe even a bigger, more fundamental change. So I think the brands that understand that they need to be engaging with, having fun with, co-creating with, and in direct contact with their communities, their, you know, their, their, their customer bases are the ones that are going to win in, this, in, in this, this new world. And so whether that's having these fantastic sort of experiences and engagements with, you know, like Disco, as Evan was describing, or being able to directly, you know, sort of send, you know, you know send or, or have, a, have a customer buy an NFT that, then it, that can then be traded, exchanged, combined with other experience, you know, combined with some of the things that Evan was saying and then redeemed for, 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 for items. I mean, it's this sort of close contact community and disintermediation. It, it's very, very much the brands kind of getting off the stage and kind of being part of the audience and the community. And with that basically becoming a fundamental ingredient, right? On one hand, you have the end user, right? Obviously, you have the you know the, the 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 infrastructure below that, right? The protocols and 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 the wallets, right? And then the infrastructure, what we call also metaverses, that are that are that are the location where the experiences take place, right? And uh, and so the the brands collaborate with with end users to co-create new experiences to build new uh, previously not uh, known uh, values, right? Um, and uh, to go back, Evan, to your to your anecdote of the backpack, right? Because it's very very tangible, right? So I have now my identity 
in a couple of years, um, which will be most probably across multiple metaverses as a collection of whatever you have done online to offline, right? And what we often also hear is uh, the question of, well, how does uh, that impact the um, opportunity for us to work within the metaverse? So what is the future of uh, us working in the metaverse? What's your perspective? Uh, what's your perspective there? You have your backpack. Do you go to work into the metaverse? What is it you do? <laughs> Absolutely. So just as we grab our backpack and we go into the office or we go into school in physical space, so too will we grab our backpack before we go to work in the metaverse. Um, today, those who are familiar with DAOs might know uh, some of the challenges that come along with joining a new DAO. So if you want to become a participant, a contributor, a member in a new decentralized autonomous organization, you need to join the Discord and it's like it's your first day on the internet. You need to prove your subject matter expertise. You need to farm your reputation. You need to be a good member of the community contributing and building your way up so that you can accrue trust in that environment and then become responsible for deliverables. But that switching cost is extraordinarily high. Every time you join a new DAO, it's literally like it's your first day of school and you've got to meet all the other kids in the classroom and you've got to prove to them that you're cool too. And so in order to enjoy the true portability of our data and to you know, make good on the promise of open and permissionless networks to support our future of work, we need to lower those switching costs. So the first day of school doesn't feel so arduous and you don't have to spend as much time at the keyboard filling out forms and proving who you are. So in the future... In the pretty near future, in fact, um, users who are members of DAOs will be able to receive credentials of membership in good standing to prove that they are effective and upstanding members of their community who are positively contributing and abiding by that community's guidelines. This will change the nature of DAOs so that there is not necessarily an unfettered secondary market to buy your way into the squad, but instead we can base reputation, or rather we can base membership on reputation and other non-financial actions so our DAOs can become more than plutocracies. In that meritocratic future where we can lower switching costs, imagine being able to capture from your DAO not only a proof of membership and good standing, but also proofs of the contributions and non-financial work that you do. So if I uh, am contributing to the Boys Club newsletter, I should receive a credential attesting to that work. If I'm contributing to their new zine, Boys Noise, I should be able to receive a credential that attests to my contributions, what those were and how they were received. So that if I go to join PleaserDAO, I can show up with my resume of receipts of my work, the proofs of my non-financial contributions that have helped this DAO succeed, and also show my aptitude, the kinds of contributions that I can, um, that I can support based on the skill sets that I have. So if I showed up to PleaserDAO on the very first day at school and I had proofs of my membership in Good Standing, in Boys Club, in SheFi, proofs of my effective event leadership and planning, proofs of my newsletter writing, of my Twitter stage hosting, then perhaps PleaserDAO, that new DAO, might be able to better assess where I can contribute um, if they trust the parties who've provided me with this reputation. So it's not a perfect solution, but in the future of work, we need to lower the switching costs of contributing from one organization to another. I love this perspective. I love this perspective. There is a lot to unpack, but uh, Justin, what are, what are your thoughts on, on the future of us working or the metaverse and the Web3 um, world becoming for us a place in, in, in which we not only 
as of today, play, because right now we see a lot of a player early adopters, right? But a place in which we actually see a value creation from an educational perspective, from a profiling perspective, as Evan, Evan alluded and, and explained upon, right? But also we, we can make a living in it. What, what's your perspective there? Okay, Metaverse Nation, great news. If you're enjoying this episode, you'll love our book. Written by our lovely co-hosts and industry leaders in the NFT and metaverse space, we published an in-depth guide for how to succeed in the new Web 3.0 environment. How can you as a brand or a company capitalize on the momentum? How are others doing it? We demystify the industry and potential for you. The link to the book is listed in the show notes, or you can simply look for the Navigating the Metaverse book on Amazon or visit our website at themetaversebook.me. But let's get back to the show. Yeah, well, I think in order to enable that, um, well, there's two visions of, of, of how we could make that happen. Um, one vision, which is pretty scary to me, is the vision of, us having a centralized version of that, where we have a centralized entity that creates this digital reality in which we all live. And we're, you know, we, we you know, provides all this infrastructure to enable us to trade and do it, but owns that privately. And so charges 47% on every transaction, can delete, can, you know, and, and completely edit your, your reality. Um, the vision that but we're trying to bring about a boson is a vision of an open metaverse where that you know you'll have like public roads and public infrastructure and private stores so people can go and make make money and there's lots of value creation and capture but the roads and the infrastructure is 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 public and and one big element of that is the ability to buy real world things from the metaverse without having to pay a a tax to a big centralized intermediary, like a troll on the bridge. Um, and, and so, you know, that is the, the, the vision of Boson Protocol to be this kind of substrate where if you want to buy and sell anything, you can do it using this minimally extractive protocol, means you, can, you don't need to trust an intermediary, you don't even need to trust the seller, and those transactions are not taxed. They've got like a 05 to 1% kind of transaction fee rather than the like 47% transaction fee that was recently sort of touted from, you know, Meta, for example. So that, that public infrastructure, uh, you know, for, for things like commerce, identity, all of these different things is, are, are the essential um, sort of rails upon which this open metaverse will grow. And in order to have a seamless experience there, right, so imagine in the near future, once we have, again, in our wallet slash in our identity backpack, we have uh, products that we, that we uh, purchased offline to online, right? Um, we are then uh, creating a secondary market. We want to we wanna sell those, right? Because now we own assets, we own tokens, right? We want to exchange, we want to swap, right? So the topic of interoperability comes again as a, as a big voice, as a big, as a big uh, let's say, pre-requirement that right now we are not seeing, right? Just in you jumping into this, uh, this so fundamental need of connecting the physical with the digital world, what's your perspective there on or when and what needs to happen in order to for interoperability to become seamless for the end user perspective? Well, I mean, firstly, we need to make sure that we're building on Web3 standards, um, which kind of implies composability. I mean, it, it, there are lots of challenges with interoperability, like, you know, classically, the, the rendering of 
wearables across different, even even like you know blockchain-based metaverses is you know is, is not very interoperable at the moment. But you know, Web three technologies are natively pretty in, in, in interoperable. But you know, also the prevention of the market failures that we saw in Web two, where you know Web two networks are are broken by design. They're not interoperable by design, right? So that you've got lock-in and value and users and identity and customers, and you can't port from, from one network to the other. Um, so, so, yeah, I think it, it's two things, fostering interoperable standards and preventing um, the, the kind of siloing, broken-by-design approach that, that we saw in Web2. Um, Justin, to, to sort of continue your note about the importance of standards, I am a huge standards enthusiast. I literally have ERC-721 tattooed on the back of my neck. I love data structure so much. But um, the one that I wanted to specifically call some attention to, um, actually two, decentralized identifiers and verifiable credentials. So these tech specs from on high, the high wizards at the W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium, which was started in 1994 to help us create the giant open permissionless network that would become the internet. Um, so these experts of network connectivity and interoperability have gifted us some amazing specs that allow us to have interoperability among a hundred different kinds of keys, 90 different kinds of blockchains, web two identifiers as well, like email addresses and PGP keys and websites. Um, and so now decentralized identifiers, kind of like aliases for those hundred different kinds of addresses now can allow those hundred different kinds of keys to be in a group chat together without the need for a bridge, gas fees, any kind of translation. Um, and so what these specs allow us to do is, uh, is you know, take our existing public keys for a blockchain, but not use a blockchain to talk with someone else's keys. Instead, using an API to connect between our wallets, between our keys, instead of the slow-moving and costly public chains that normally we would rely upon. Um, so the common language that can now be spoken among Bitcoin addresses, Solana addresses, Ethereum addresses, email addresses, is called verifiable credentials. A credential that can be verified. So a JSON blob written by one party about another party or about itself in a lingua franca, in a common language that can be universally resolved by all of those other different kinds of keys. Um, and so what the superpower enables for us is the ability to present any one of my names, any one of my addresses, to present my Bitcoin address, my Ethereum address, my Solana address, and to call upon all of the reputation I've built up around all of my other names. So gathering all of that information about myself in my backpack, no matter which name I was using when I was at the party earning that reputation. And uh, wow, okay, so API meaning that we go from a Web3 to a Web2 or, or, and I don't want to get too technical, I don't think we, you know, the, I'm, I'm not an engineer, right, but are we seeing here kind of a bridge man in the middle attack uh, or what are, what are, because this is a topic that definitely in 2021 has been huge, right? I mean, we have seen, we have seen that uh, these moments of transition from one infrastructure to the next infrastructure becomes, you know, the moment where, where, where things are stolen, the backpack is opened up, right? And there are some people in, in between. What, what are your thoughts there on how to avoid things? 
So we are extraordinarily fortunate because we have an incredible research community that has been already addressing these potential concerns. Indeed, by making the identity layer of counterparties easier, more human readable, more comprehensible, we can avoid some of the social phishing attacks and some of the interface-based challenges that we have when we fail to appropriately bring identity data from one platform to another. So you brought up a really great example where often we have these interventions when we go from one platform to another that can get us to really scary places. So for example, um, if I go to Discord, I can't assume that every Discord handle is uh, correlated with the same words that are used as handles on Twitter. So if I'm at Proven Authority on Twitter, I'm not necessarily at Proven Authority on Discord, but other people might think that I am. And so that's what happened with fake OpenSea support servers that had a fake Alex Atala, fake Devin Finler. Um, and so when we trust our eyes and not our cryptography, we can get into trouble. So decentralized identifiers, this abstracted identity layer can allow us to assign human readable information to the parties that we're interacting with. Imagine being able to see that the smart contract you're pushing funds to was, was um, deployed by keys that sit at metamask.io or um, you know, being able to associate the technical counterparty that you're engaging with, whether it's a contract or an address, with some other human readable or comprehensible identifier so that you know who you're talking to. You're not just engaging with OX123, you're engaging with Tommaso, you're engaging with Justin. I love it. Justin, um, Assuming, assuming a lot of our audiences have, you know, have responsibilities uh, um, in in uh, in terms of getting into the Web three and Metaverse realm right now, they're planning, they're 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 tactical, their strategy, right? And what we hear and what we have seen in this first wave of uh, Metaverses, you know, the sandboxes and the central end of this world, right? That that you can have uh, a a play. In literally a play, right? As as a branded play within those those digital those digital infrastructures as a brand, right? So you have product placement within those, right? But what everybody can connect with is the fact of I have a physical product, and now I would like to um, expand and enrich this physical product into the digital world. Question here is how to start out, Justin? Where do I start? Can you give a, a very tangible example here for our for our listeners and, and watchers? Yeah, I mean, well, that's one of the reasons that our sort of labs division um, built out an application called Boson Portal uh, within Decentraland, and, and, and which was the, the commerce partner for the whole Metaverse Fashion Week, really because the deep tech protocol that, that, that we've built for, for, for Boson Protocol, whilst with you know, Web3 developers in the Web3 world, you know, it's very simple to plug in. For, for you know, more traditional brands, that's, a, that's a, big, a big gap to cross. And so, you know, with, with Boson Portal, uh, we enabled brands to sell physical items in the metaverse and gave them all the sort of support um, from creative to infrastructure to build and, and, and installing them as a store um, where they, 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 they could do exactly that. 
So enabling from, from the physical world slash from a SKU perspective, right, to take the SKU and then, and then the, the actual product becoming digital, becoming an asset on a Web3, right, and yep. then living without, within the mechanics, I assume, oh, right? Yeah, so, so both being able to represent and render that physical item as a, as a, as a, a digital item that could then be purchased and you get an, like an NFT, re redeemable NFT, that can then be redeemed for the for the physical, but often pairing that 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 uh, physical NFT with a with a digital NFT as well, so you get like like this digital twin. Um, and we also, you know, we also created a whole load of sort of activations um, where brands, you know, where customers would would do quests or have to perform certain um, certain operations or you know treasure hunts, etc in order to be able to make this purchase. Um, and that, a lot of that was, yeah, quite, uh, quite clunky. And that's why I'm very excited to hear what Evans had to say, because um, we're, we're all about decentralized commerce. And, you know, we, 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 we've built this, this kind of commerce layer for Web3, but it gets really interesting when you can program that with, with plugins. And, and that's exactly what, what Evan, Evan's doing. So, yeah. I love Just when we add... Oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead, Evan. I, um, you touched on one of my favorite things, which is how do we design experiences that are not just palatable, but pleasant, right? Delightful even. And, yeah. you know, as we all know, as users of Web3 infrastructure and tooling, we are not quite there yet for our user journeys. Often uh, the products in Web3 require you to start precisely at step number one of their user journey not wherever you are in your own personal journey. And so we have a unique opportunity right now to try to optimize for those experiences that are going to feel most natural to our users, that are going to approximate or call upon the trust cues that they might already have from places where they already hang out. Um, and so we are just starting to see the advent of user-centered design practices in Web3, where we start with an end user experience and parameters around how we want to protect those users, ethical guardrails for how we might use technology in this public and permanent context, and then kind of work backwards into what needs to get built in what order to bring users there, as opposed to the more sort of historical research-based approach where we would just make a bunch of conjectures and build things to see what happened. But now our community has matured to the point where that can become dangerous if we fail to establish ground rules before we start building things that are very consequential to human beings. Um, so in this moment, we now have, I think, a shared duty to prioritize the human part of human coordination tools. And that's the reason why it's fundamental, actually, to build out an, an identity and a, and a, and a location or, or, or an infrastructure, right, that allows you to build the, the location in there. What a great episode, Justin Bannon and Evan McMullen. Another, another uh, uh, really lessons learned here for our audience with navigating the metaverse. Before we wrap up things, right, Evan, take us... Uh, 10 years, and 10 years in the metaverse is what, 70 years in real life? 10 years down the road, um, what do you think will uh, need to happen in order for us to have a seamless uh, Web3 uh, life? Uh, what are the obstacles and where do you see this going? I think that the most fundamental obstacle for us in this moment is the recognition of our own humanity. 
we have been building protocol-based coordination tools, but we have not yet considered what the experience of being a human in this future we're building um, might, you know, might look like at scale. Uh, I know many individuals have these conjectures, but sharing a vision for that future that is a full stack solution incorporating the many tools that we have, addressing the discoverability problems that we have for finding the right stack and finding the right users and communities. Mm -hmm. I think that a challenge of usability and discoverability is what we face right now. But if we prioritize human-centered design, if we prioritize building experiences that remove friction from people's lives as they exist today and adds value and delight, that those guardrails can help us ensure that what we are building not only has merit and value, but will exist in the context of how human beings are trying to live. Beautiful, beautiful. Justin, what's your perspective? 10 years down the road, what are the obstacles? And when do we have RNA inflection points where, where we have a seamless Web3 um, play? So I, I think 10 years down the road, we will have this sort of blurring of digital and physical realities where you know within the you know the physical world you'll have this kind of like augmented reality overlay um, and then you'll have more immersive digital experiences where you'll be you know in a digital environment be able to click things and and, and kind of purchase seamlessly uh, the physical assets um, and I think all of this will happen with open technologies like boson protocol where um, Instead of at the moment, every time we go to buy something, there's this middleman in between that's taking your money and taking a big slice and passing some on to the seller. And all of this will happen without that middleman. So we'll be able to send, um, you know, physical things and buy them and trade them and exchange them and, and, and take payment. All of this, just like at the moment, we transmit data like TCP IP. And, and without that weight of extraction and friction, that these middlemen provide, uh, we're just going to have a completely transformed um, experience, especially from a commerce perspective. And with this big picture in mind of a seamless world and Web3, we'd like to wrap up things. Thank you so much, uh, Justin. Thank you so much, Evan. Uh, learning humbly one chat at a time, co-creating Web3. And as always, I'll meet you in the next episode. And I'll see you in the metaverse. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening. Another quick reminder about our referral code for Upland, the Earth's metaverse where you can flip virtual properties, become a MetaVentures entrepreneur, or just connect with other like-minded players to rebuild the world together. Download Upland on iOS, Android, or web today using the referral link in the show notes and get a 6,000 UpX sign-up bonus. Just a quick disclaimer, the information shared on this show is for entertainment purposes only. This is not investment advice. Thank you for joining us and see you in the metaverse.